You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Laura Geisert and Adrian Frost. This month, we're reading Smart But Scattered by Peg Dawson and Richard Guare. Let's get into it. Hi, Laura. Hi, Adrian. Welcome back, everybody, to the SLP Book Club. This month, we're starting a new book, Smart But Scattered. And I'm really excited about this one. How about you, Laura? I'm so excited. I've only read a few chapters so far, but it already has got me just thinking about so many different kids I used to work with who really fit this smart but scattered profile. I agree. I mean, just reading what we've read so far, I mean, so many kids are coming to mind. And I think this book could be so, so useful to teachers, not only special ed teachers, but also general ed teachers who maybe have a student who matches this profile in their classroom. Or I was even thinking of a couple friends I have who have children who maybe fit the profile or have some ADHD tendencies. And so I've been recommending this to a lot of friends too, because I think this is going to be really helpful for everybody we want to be listening, right? Parents, teachers, uh, SLPs for sure. Yeah. And I know they do mention ADHD in here and saying that some parents should talk to pediatricians if they suspect that. But we do see those kids who don't necessarily even have that ADHD diagnosis and they might not have an IEP or supports. And when I worked in schools, I always found that the way I connected the most with teachers was when I was able to give them some strategies that maybe they hadn't thought about for even kids that I screened, those kids where they're just the teachers like, can you just come and watch this kid and tell me what's going on with them? You know, and I think this book is full of great stuff that we can tell to teachers, but also if teachers are listening, obviously great strategies for them to use. Yeah, I agree. And maybe even for some adults out there who are listening, you might notice that you fit some of these characteristics and profiles. (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Lots of gems. In today's episode, we're going to be covering the introduction, chapter one, and chapter two. So in the introduction of this book, they talk about how frustrating it can be really to see a child struggling with certain executive functioning skills that seem to come so easily to other children. And these can be things like remembering to return permission slips or focusing long enough to practice reading or even cleaning their room without throwing a tantrum. So I do want to point out, and of course we'll get into it, but basically throughout the whole book, the executive skills are what we're going to be talking about. So these are things that children like this tend to struggle with the most, and that is really going to be the focus of the book. So they emphasize that what the child might actually be missing is executive skills and that we have to teach them because not all brains are created the same and some children need specialized instruction in those areas. So the purpose of the book is to show you how you can modify the daily experiences of a child age 4 to 13 to build the executive skills that will make it possible for that child to get on track and get things done. So I really like that this book it has such a wide range of age, right? Four years old, all the way to 13. And 13 is kind of like, I would say subjective, because I think a lot of they talk a lot about adulthood and a lot about to the teen years. So I think if you're kind of creative, you could probably apply some of these strategies to kids who are even older. You know, it's really a book for parents, but I, I was thinking about it for me and for the work that I do. They go so much into 
examining your own executive skills as an adult in this book. And so I've been thinking the whole time of all these different strategies I'm going to use for myself. So obviously you could apply it to kids who are older, in high school, early college. Oh, and I also just really like that they do go so young because I haven't ever heard people really talking about executive skills as young as, you know, well, they even go down to infanthood. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was eye-opening for me too. And I mean, I know we were in grad school together. So, you know, I was surprised that some of this information wasn't covered as heavily as maybe it should be. Yeah. But we're about to learn about it. So yeah. get on board. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> if you decide to take a wait and see approach to a child's executive functioning skills, the child could suffer damage to their self-esteem in the meantime. So really, it's our job to help them now so that they can catch up and not suffer extended consequences from having deficits in these areas. Executive skills have been recently identified as the foundation that all children need to negotiate the demands of childhood. And these brain-based skills become more and more critical as children venture into the world with decreasing parental supervision or teacher guidance. So really, ultimately, these skills are essential to successful management of adult life. So I think it can be helpful for parents or teachers or SLPs to think about these skills as sort of foundational for the child as they get older and older. And there's actually a paragraph on page three of the introduction that summarizes a lot of the concerns that we might see for a variety of age ranges. And I just kind of wanted to read it because I feel like it probably will resonate with people as they're listening and they'll hear something and they'll go, oh, yeah, that was that student or, oh, yeah, you know, my child struggles with that. So I'm just going to read that now. And I felt like it was so well said, I could not say it better myself. So here we go. If your five-year-old lacks or lags behind the other kids in executive skills, he may not be able to stand to lose a game or keep his hands to himself and could end up with an ever-dwindling selection of playmates. If your nine-year-old can't plan her work and then stick to the plan, she may never finish the longer-term school projects assigned at this age. If your 13-year-old has little impulse control, what's to stop him from leaving his sister alone to ride his bike with the guys just because you're not there to remind him he agreed to babysit? In adolescence, will your daughter pay attention while driving with a car full of friends? Will your son go to SAT review classes or spend his time instant messaging or playing video games? Will your child have the organization and time management skills to get to a summer job on time? and the emotional control to avoid blowing up at an annoying customer or boss? Once grown, will your child leave home or fail to launch? In short, will your son or daughter be able to lead a successful, independent life? I, I um, specifically wrote, there's a paragraph in the introduction <laughs> that reminds me so much of the loving push. Mm. Will your kid do the things they need to succeed as they move into their life, will they fail to launch? And basically, if you don't help them with these executive skills, they might not lead a successful independent life. We're seeing these same themes throughout all the books we've read so far. You have to identify, you have to teach the skills if they're not coming automatically, and you have to push the kids if you want them to be successful. You can't just go, oh, they'll catch up. Yeah, you know? it's almost like we planned it that way. <laughs> It does, it does feel like they're flowing together very well. <laughs> well, the book is broken up into three parts. So part one will help you figure out where the child needs help and the best angles of attack for strengthening those executive skills. And then parts two and three offer different interventions depending on the needs of the child. So I'm really looking forward to getting into this book and learning about all the ways that we can help the many, many children that we treat daily that are affected by all of these executive skill deficits. Me too. So let's get into part one of Smart But Scattered. 
This part is entitled, What Makes Your Child Smart But Scattered? And chapter one is called, How Did Such a Smart Kid End Up So Scattered? So the authors open up the chapter with a story about eight-year-old Katie cleaning her room. There are several different messes in her room, and they walk us through how she first tries to clean up her Barbies and their clothes, but then she gets distracted changing the outfit on one of the dolls. And before she knows it, 30 minutes has passed, and her mom comes in and has to help her. And then her mom leaves again, and she's supposed to clean up the books on her bookshelf, but she gets distracted by a book, you know, that she was reading, and she tells herself, oh, I'll just read one chapter. And then by the time she finishes the chapter, more time has passed, and now she's feeling overwhelmed, and she calls down to her mom saying, like, there's too much to do. Can I just go out and play with my friends? So then Katie's mom, you know, feels frustrated because she feels like her daughter gets distracted, discouraged, you know, off track every time she asks her to do a task. And she feels like she has to either walk her daughter through every single step or she just gets frustrated and ends up doing it all herself. Katie's trouble in school is also kind of explained. She's super smart and her teachers have great stuff to say about the quality of her work when it gets done. But she's frequently a distraction to others and has a hard time concentrating during group work. And the teachers basically tell her parents that, you know, it's their job to impress more firmly upon her the importance of following rules and directions in the classroom. And the authors go on to explain that with these children, intelligence isn't really the problem. It's really organizing the output and deciding what to do when and controlling their own behavior to get there. So they have intelligence, but they lack the executive skills to put it to use. So what are executive skills? Executive skills are the skills that are required to formulate even the most fundamental plan to initiate a task. So they give this example of a child who wants to get a glass of milk. There are so many steps required to execute that. You have to get up, walk to the kitchen, open the fridge, pull out the milk, get the glass down, put the milk in the glass, you know, put the milk back in the fridge, close the fridge, decide where you want to drink the milk, go there, drink it. You know, there's many steps involved. And then there's also a lot of ways that the plan could go awry. Maybe there aren't any glasses in the cabinet at all. And then the child has to problem solve, where can I get a glass? Or maybe there's not enough milk left because the sister drank it all. And then he has to decide if he's going to yell at his sister or what he's going to do about that. And that's just really a small example of a plan that requires these executive skills to execute. And the child will encounter many, many, many situations that require much more complicated planning, especially as they get older. So for children to be independent, they really need to be able to plan and execute very complicated tasks. And the authors base their model on two different premises. The first is that most individuals have an array of executive skill strengths, but also executive skills weaknesses. So there seem to be common profiles of strengths and weaknesses that people fall into. We'll talk about that later, but there's a couple of pretty typical ones. And then the second is that the primary purpose of identifying areas of weakness is to be able to design and implement interventions to address those weaknesses. So the authors have 11 skills that are most likely affected. So the 11 skills that they discuss are response inhibition, working memory, emotional control, sustained attention, task initiation, planning or prioritization, organization, time management, goal-directed persistence, flexibility, and metacognition. And then there's also a helpful table in the book that lists the skills in order of emergence so that parents or teachers or SLPs can know which skills are appropriate to target for which ages. You don't want to be trying to address something that's not appropriate for that child's age. So I thought that was like a really great table. 
I would recommend anybody go check it out. The main difference in these skills are which ones help your child think differently or which ones help your child behave differently. So for example, if your child has a weak working memory, you'll probably be working to give the child strategies to help her retrieve critical information like, you know, what she needs to bring to school for homework tomorrow. But if your child has weak emotional control, which is more of a behavior, you'll be working to help him use words rather than his fists when he discovers that his little brother sat on his model airplane. They also talk about how executive skills develop in the brain, biology, and experience. So biology and experience both affect how executive skills develop. A child is born with the potential to develop all executive skills, but this could be affected by their genetic makeup. So for example, like if the parent struggles with attention or organizational skills, it's likely that the child will have problems in those areas as well. And environmentally, if the child grows up in a toxic environment, either biologically or physically, this can also affect the development of skills. And then over the period of a child's life from birth to early adulthood, there's initially an increase in gray matter in the brain until about the age of five. And then after that, there's a significant pruning of neural connections that aid with learning. So I think they said something funny in the book about like, if the gray matter in the brain continued to grow past the age of five, it would just be out of control. Our heads would be huge. (laughs) So there is a switch from that growth to like the pruning. Yeah. I did make a note because they said that research suggests that this makes learning more efficient and that additional increases in gray matter would actually undermine new learning. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you are a Simpsons watcher, but I always think of that time when when Homer told Marge that every time he learns something new, it pushes something old, some old stuff out of his brain. And he's like, remember when I took that home winemaking course and forgot how to to try <laughs> Anytime I hear something about learning something new and losing something old, I think of him saying that, that you just can't. It's one, only so at much some room. Point, your brain just yeah, <laughs> you can't take on anymore. <laughs> well, childhood offers parents and teachers a critical opportunity to enhance the learning and development of executive skills in a child. So neural pathways are being pruned and established at this point in order to support the development of executive skills, which should tell us that it's a really good time to support them, especially with frontal lobe development, which is where executive skills take place. The frontal lobes are in charge of directing our behavior, which helps us decide, you know, what we should pay attention to and what actions we should take. So the frontal lobes also link our behaviors together so that we can use past experience to guide our behavior and make future decisions. They help us control our emotions and our behavior, taking into account external and internal constraints as we work to satisfy our needs and our desires. And then they also observe, assess, and fine-tune, allowing us to correct our behavior or choose a new strategy based on feedback. So it's really up to parents, teachers, support personnel to provide executive skills support and coaching for the children so that they can develop these skills for themselves because they're really going to need them and they're essential to independence. One way to think of this is like lending the child your own frontal lobes. (laughs) So in the beginning of a child's life, one of the first skills to develop is working memory. So like initially, an infant is less than five months old and they have no memory and really just live in the present moment, which is a beautiful way of thinking about it. It's like, wow, infants are really masters at mindfulness. (laughs) 
<laughs> they just live in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> but once they begin to understand cause and effect, they can remember things like, hey, if I cry, my mom will come back. You know, if she left me, she'll come back. And once it works, they remember that and then they can put that into effect later on. So these skills continue to develop and then you can support them by asking your child questions like, what did you do the last time this happened? Or what do you need to do this activity? Response inhibition is another example of an executive skill that develops over the course of a child's life. So you might notice a nine-month-old infant crawling towards their mother, passing a toy that they might have gotten distracted by earlier. And I think a good example of this is those viral videos, you know, that you see on like Instagram or TikTok where they put a kid in a room and there's like something really tempting on the table, like a cookie or something. And the mom tells the kid, you cannot touch that cookie when I'm gone. And then they leave the room and then you just watch the kid like struggle internally if they should eat the cookie or not. (laughs) (laughs) So that would be a good example of response inhibition. And probably something to do with temptation. But these skills continue to develop. For example, a three or four-year-old might use their words instead of hitting a playmate. Or a nine-year-old might look before running into the street to chase after their ball. And then naturally, as you notice your child developing these skills more and more, you're able to pull back and give the child more freedom and independence to demonstrate these skills. Obviously, you would not let your three-year-old run into the street after a ball. But maybe you feel like you could trust your nine-year-old to look both ways and be careful. Initially, you lent them your frontal lobes, but as theirs develop, you can pull back the support. So why do certain children lack executive skills? One possibility is a diagnosis of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, also known as ADHD. There's a growing consensus that ADHD is fundamentally a disorder of executive skills, specifically response inhibition, sustained memory, working memory, time management, task initiation, and goal-directed persistence. These differences can add up over time and represent a developmental lag. And while the child in their brain does mature, it's often two to three years later than their peers. And for some children with ADHD, this maturation does not take place really at all, and the weakness persists until adulthood. So kids can be scattered in a variety of ways, ranging from those with ADHD to those with weak organization, working memory, and time management skills. Children can also be emotionally scattered, where they have emotional tangents or their ability to problem solve effectively is impacted. And so in the next chapter, there is like a really great quiz or, you know, inventory that we'll talk about. But really, it's our job as professionals and parents to help the children early and effectively, just as we've been saying since basically the beginning of this podcast. (laughs) We're just going to keep saying it till everybody gets it. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about chapter two, identifying your child's strengths and weaknesses. So schools are really a good example of how teachers provide boundaries and room for growth in order to support how executive skills develop over time. So for example, in a preschool, there's a familiar rhythm to the school day that gives children structured group activities as well as opportunity for free play. So the free play allows the children to flex their own executive skills with a little independence by planning and organizing to make up games and deciding on the rules themselves. And then the social interactions built into free play enable children to learn to control impulses and manage emotions. And the structured portion of the day is tailored to the level of the children. So instructions are given maybe one or two at a time and group activities are kept brief to match their attention span. So 
just in that example, you can see how the activities are really tailored to the children and their exact level of maturation at that time. I can't remember. I don't think you worked in a lot of preschool classes, maybe? No, not really. I worked in a lot of different preschool classes and some were amazing, some were more challenging to be in the room. This just made me think of one teacher in particular who had such a perfect routine. And if you were in there day after day, you might go, isn't this too repetitive? Like the songs that they're singing, the way they're doing everything, their morning routine, but that is what works. And she really had this stuff honed in. She knew for how long kids could pay attention, how much tolerance they had for learning something new. You know, if she was teaching a new song to the kids, she would really work on it for the whole week before it would become second nature for all of them. And then they could work that into their repertoire, you know, but it's just, it was so organized, so structured. And this was a special ed preschool class. So it was a wide range. It was for all different types of learners. So there were kids with autism, there were kids with physical disabilities. There was such a wide variety and everybody could succeed in that class because of that structure and that routine. And then the parents would be like, but they're out of control at home. And we would just be like, well, they're perfect little angels in this class. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Knowing what to expect goes a long way. And I think we have so much to learn from teachers who are so good at what they do. I really admire that. Yeah. By first grade, teachers are already differentiating between rules for classroom behavior and rules for behavior in other settings, like maybe recess, the gym, and the lunchroom. And they're using structure and routines to help children learn to initiate tasks and sustain attention so that they can work at them. Time is allotted for working on tasks, and the time might be shorter in the beginning of the school year and then gradually extended as the year wears on to match the children as they mature. Demands on working memory can also increase as teachers assign homework, give them permission slips, and ask them to remember to have their parents sign them, or expecting backpacks to be packed appropriately before leaving for school. So we can tell, I mean, the jump from preschool to first grade, the expectations are definitely increasing. And by late elementary school, these kids are expected to develop organizational and planning skills. Long-term projects may be assigned where children are required to follow a sequence of steps or stick to a timeline. They're expected to keep track of materials, maintain organized notebooks, and keep their desks pretty neat. So I think a good example of that would be like science fair projects. I know one of the schools that I worked at had like a really serious science fair every year. And I feel like the planning for that took like three months. (laughs) Was it one of those ones where, you know, the parents did all the work or were the kids really doing it? (laughs) Well, this was the math and science magnet school. So the kids were pretty like into science, but it had judges There was like rounds. It was very serious. (laughs) And then once children reach middle school, the demands on executive skills increase dramatically. And, you know, the authors had quite a lot to say about expectations in middle school. I was kind of surprised. You know, I remember that jump to middle school and it is shocking. When you go from that safety and comfort of your elementary school that you've been at since you were five and suddenly you're at a new school, all these new teachers, and you're trying to figure this all out. And I know at my elementary school that I worked at for most of my school career in fifth grade, which was the highest grade, they rotated. So they were preparing them for middle school. They had four teachers and the kids rotated throughout the day. So you might have one of the teachers for math, one for ELA. You know, they they did have to get used to that, having 
different teachers with different expectations. And I thought that that was a really good program because I know that Mm -hmm. that transition can just be such a shock. Right. Well, they were saying that this time period coincides with a rapid period of brain development that really begins around age 11 or 12. So you would think that these children probably need more support rather than less. Probably not the best time to push them out of the nest. (laughs) Yeah. And I hadn't really (laughs) thought about that. I don't know if I'd never learned that or heard that, but that is interesting that all this growth happens in the brain right around, I guess, right around puberty. Maybe that's why middle school has such a bad reputation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you always hear teachers and SLPs like, don't work at the middle school. It's horrible. It's probably because they're just so overwhelmed. I know parents who homeschool just for middle school. They're like, no way would I send my kid to middle school. Oh, (laughs) It's a rite of passage, though. (laughs) Well, the things that really impact these kids at that time are demands on working memory, planning, organization, and time management, which are all, you know, stepping up in complexity and intensity. And then there's an increase in expectation around planning and monitoring long-term assignments, planning how work will be organized and time will be spent. And then even like keeping track of other responsibilities and belongings like gym clothes, lunch money, you know, things they need to do for sports, permission slips, as well as managing the complexity of changing classes and having to take different materials to different classes. So there's just a lot going on in middle school. And the authors talk about that while some children's executive skill development allows for a high level of self-management, many really aren't there yet. And you'll know which category the child falls into and if they fall into the not there yet category. And if that's the case, then they may need more support, such as checking in with them daily about homework or helping them keep in mind long-term assignments or asking how they plan to study for tests. I know that in middle schools, there's normally a big focus on using a planner, like the school has a planner or, you know, teachers will do planner checks. But I feel like just reading through this chapter and just talking about that right now, a planner seems to be probably the best thing you can do for your child or for any child is emphasizing use of a planner, use of the month overview so that you can get an idea of how long a project will take. And, you know, I rely a lot on my planner and my calendar app and my phone. So yeah, I'm surprised that we've made it to month three of the book club. And you're finally mentioning your planner. (laughs) I know. I know your planner is like your life. (laughs) My God. I tried. I just bought a new planner and I was really, really diligent for one week and then I fell off. I know. I wish I was more diligent these days, but the best thing I did was I got a planner that is undated. So you put the date in, you write it in for the month and you write it in for the week overview. So if I let it lapse for a couple of weeks, like I can just get right back in there. I got one. I think I got a Clever Fox one or something. Me and too. it is undated. I so I know it's rose gold. It's so beautiful. Me I've got too. all these stickers. Oh my God. I think I'm going to show you that we probably have the same one. Let me see. Is it this? Yeah, we have the same planner. Wow, this is not planned. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do love it. And I do like having that in my head that I can go back to it at any moment when I'm ready to start planning again. (laughs) 
can get on top of my life. Me too. Makes a big difference. (laughs) All right. Well, teachers and other support personnel could play a role in explicitly teaching these executive functioning skills. So the authors apparently have written another book called Executive Skills in Children and Adolescents that is written specifically for educators and other professionals. That might be worth checking out. And I thought that was a great suggestion. These skills should be woven into the daily lessons that the teachers are given. And like looking back on this, I can remember some teachers who emphasized, get out your planner. We're going to write this in at this spot, you know, put it in for a week from now that you're going to do the next step of the project or whatever. And I always felt like that was so helpful having that framework. Yeah, I remember actually a a professor I had in grad school, but I was taking an undergrad course. And when we had a big project, he had really specific check-in dates where you had to show him your proposal and then like your outline for what, I don't know if he struggled with executive skills when he was in school, but we had to be checking in with him and showing him our progress all through, like he was holding (laughs) us accountable and making sure we were using these skills. Procrastination was not allowed in that class. (laughs) I need that in my life. Okay, well, perhaps even more than teachers, it's really parents that have an important role to play here. So there's at least as much demand for executive skills in the home as there is at school. Think about things like cleaning the room or controlling their temper, dealing with changes in plans, keeping track of belongings, like all these things require the same skills if not more of the same skills. And the examples could really go on and on. So parents can provide the individualized support that their child needs, especially if they understand what normal executive skill development looks like and where their child falls in regards to their own executive skill development. And when you think about it, teachers have 30 kids, right? So it's hard to be really on top of each and every student. But if you're a parent, maybe you have two kids, one child, three children, where you can really focus on them a lot more. So how can you tell where the child's executive skills are? A good question to ask yourself is if the child is generally meeting expectations at school. So if the child is earning reasonable grades and also fulfilling the kind of responsibilities that school demands, such as homework management, then chances are his or her executive skills are within reasonable limits. Some children do well at school and have a harder time at home. I don't know, Laura, if you've heard that, but I've heard that in many IEP meetings where maybe the student was found not eligible for services because they did like so great for us. And then classroom observations show pretty typical behavior, but the parents are just like, my kid loses it at home. I feel like I've heard that so many times. Yeah. And it always seems to just come down to the school has that routine and that structure And at home, they're having a really hard time implementing any sort of routine or structure. And sometimes you also feel that feeling where maybe a kid has this awareness and is really holding everything back and holding it in at school. Right. And then just after a day of being well behaved, they just let it loose. Yes. I mean, that's a thing. And too. are terrorizing their little sister and the mom is going crazy. You know, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Some of the reports are really like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. You're like, what kid are right? you talking like, about? Yeah. I know. I'm like, he's an angel. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, you're exactly right. And that's what they say in the book that, you know, this could be due to many reasons, less structure in the home, more environmental stressors, too high or low of expectations. And there's a really amazing table on page 30 of the book that lists the kind of tasks that require executive skills for children at different ages. Of course, I could not help myself from looking through for my daughter just to see where she's at. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought they were pretty reasonable expectations, you know. 
for a preschooler to run simple errands like go get your shoes from the bedroom or tidy their bedroom with assistance or perform simple chores like brushing teeth or, you know, not engaging in dangerous behaviors like hitting or biting. Yeah, my daughter has actually been on a a chore kick lately. I think she's really into these Berenstain Bear books. Oh, I love Berenstain Bears. I know. I feel like we should say Berenstain Bears, right? But because of that Mandela effect thing, oh, it's like... Well, wait. I know the Mandela effect. you know effect. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Wait, what's the thing? <laughs> explain it. Explain it. Because I know I've read about it before. So growing up, I distinctly remember these books, Berenstain, S-T-E-I-N. Yeah. We had VHS cassettes. We had the books. I guarantee you that was it. And then probably, you know, we jumped realities a while ago something happened and now it's barren stain a glitch in the matrix s-t-a-i-n <laughs> everywhere really yes it's crazy okay i think i have one Berenstein bears book that i will try to find i might have gotten rid of it if it's from your childhood see what's up <laughs> it's definitely not <laughs> but it might be from a thrift store well so. <laughs> right yeah well anyway she's just in love with them i think we have every single book that our local library has is in her bedroom right now but one of them they do chores to get some money it's like this weird story basically based on like beanie babies <laughs> where they become obsessed with these like little dolls but anyway so she keeps asking me for a sponge and telling me she wants to scrub the floor and she wants to wash the stairs <laughs> and actually that is a later developing skill <laughs> yeah, she's very advanced <laughs> i know i'm just i don't even know if she should be working so hard <laughs> it's like child labor <laughs> Like if somebody came over, you're like, no, yeah, no, I'm like, now. stop cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> the next question is, how is your child doing compared to other kids? So it can be helpful to compare a child to their friends or classmates to get a rough estimate of if their executive skills are progressing normally. But it's good to remember there's always a range of what's appropriate for each age and kids develop differently at different times. So I would just kind of take it as a guideline and not super strict. And a really good idea is to talk to your child's teacher to get another perspective. So teachers have been working with kids in their grade level for a long time, and they have a really great sample of children to select from at any time. Most of the kids in the class can do this in years, struggles, or what have you. And then also talk to your child's pediatrician if you're concerned, especially with an attention disorder, they might be able to do some kind of assessment. Is there a discernible pattern to the child's executive skill strengths and weaknesses? While some children's skills are delayed across the board, others have different strengths and weaknesses. So for example, children with weak response inhibition also frequently have weak emotional control, which I definitely thought of several kids I am familiar with that fall into that category. Children who are inflexible also tend to have weak emotional control, such as a change in plans they weren't expecting leading to a meltdown. And then sometimes children are weak in all three executive skill areas, response inhibition, emotional control, and flexibility. And this can obviously be really challenging if you have these deficits across the board. There are some other combinations that the authors frequently see, such as kids with weak task initiation, also often having weak sustained memory. So not only are they slow to get started on homework, but they also likely will quit before it's done. And these children generally have weak goal-directed persistence. Another common combination is time management and planning prioritization. Children who have these as strengths seldom have difficulty handling long-term projects. 
if these are weaknesses, they not only don't know where to begin a long-term project, but also don't know when to begin it. You can see how these can kind of work together and snowball to create a lot of problems with work completion, getting things started, and following through. Now, authors also often see a relationship between working memory and organization. So sometimes kids can use a strength in one skill to offset a weakness in another, such as it doesn't matter how messy your bedroom is if you can remember exactly where you put your shin guards, right? But unfortunately, all too often children who have weak working memory also have weak organizational skills. Just the one-two whammy right there. And then beginning on page 34, there's a really wonderful executive skills questionnaire for children based on the child's age. So your answers will tell you the specific executive skill that the child excels in and that the child needs to work on. And I was thinking, you know, this would be a really great criterion-based assessment tool to use in a report, SLP maybe, but also I was thinking for OT and maybe even for psych reports. You know, this could give you so much great information and help you really narrow in on exact skills that need to be targeted. Once you have the results from the assessment, you can help the child to capitalize on their strengths. So if the child is good at solving problems, then you can use your child's metacognitive strengths to help him solve the problems that arise from weaknesses in other executive skills. And you can also reinforce the skills that your child's particularly good at. They really were emphasizing praise. They were saying it's probably one of the most underused strategies that parents and teachers have to help children build skills and appropriate behaviors. So once you can figure out what the child's strengths are, it's like anytime you see that popping up, make sure to call it out and praise that and give them a lot of positive reinforcement for the good things that they're doing. And now that you know your child's weaknesses, uh, part three of the book will talk about each executive skill in turn and outline intervention strategies that can either minimize the negative impact of the weakness or help children improve their ability to use the skill. So overall, you know, we're getting into it. And if you have a particular child in mind, I really recommend looking at that questionnaire and seeing if you can pinpoint some areas that the child might need to improve in. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you to everybody for listening to the episode, our first episode covering Smart But Scattered. This is just a little preview, a little taste of what's to come. And I think we're going to be getting so much good information from this. All right. Well, bye, Laura. Bye, Adrian. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash the SLP Book Club to join the discussion after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? We've made all the resources for this book, including chapter summaries and visuals, available for free on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the SLP Book Club to download these great materials. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to the slpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at the slpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at slp underscore book club. Find us on TikTok at the slpbookclub. 